Well, if you haven't been with us and you're new to Rockfish, what we like to do here is go through books of the Bible. And so what we've been doing since about mid-June is going through the book of Galatians in a, a way that's exegetical or expositional. And so we've tried to get at the main idea of the text, or what it is that the author intends to communicate to us about God. And then we want to take that meaning and apply it to our lives in a variety of ways so that we will be transformed more and more into the image of our great and glorious Savior. If you're new to the Bible, uh, there's a pew Bible there right in front of you that you can use. And we're on page 826. And so there's going to be large numbers there. And the large numbers are going to be the chapter numbers. And the small numbers are going to be the verse numbers so that you can follow along with us. I'm going to begin reading at uh, verse 16 of chapter 5. And I'm going to read through verse 24. Uh, we did the first few verses last week. And I thought I got really ambitious and thought that I was going to be able to make it all the way through the text. And I got about halfway there and realized that uh, one of the works of the flesh, which is angerness and some dissent, that that was going to really crop up in all of us if I continued to preach. So I withheld myself, and uh, uh, we're going to finish this particular text today. So this is, this is Act 2, or Part 2 of that. So I'm going to read the text, and we'll pray, and then we will get started this morning. Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your good word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, we thank you that we can trust you in all things to be good to those that are called according to your purpose. And as we look at your word this morning, Father, we pray that you would use a weak preacher's words and a weak people to change the world for you, to be changed by you, to abide in the true vine, so that we might offer true bread and true living water to a lost and dying world. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So to recap some of the key themes of Galatians that have brought us up to this point, Paul has, in chapter 2, verses 15 through 21, kind of laid out his uh, main thesis for the whole letter. And he says, salvation is not by works. He said it three times, not by works, not by works, not by works, but through faith, by grace, through faith, that is completely the work of God. And so we've summarized that by saying, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. 
You see, what he's been doing is combating a heresy that's risen up among the Galatian people by a group called the Judaizers. And these false teachers, the Judaizers, have been preaching that in order to be saved or to bring yourself to a full orb salvation, you have to not only trust in the grace of God and believe in Jesus Christ, but also you have to keep the Mosaic Covenant. You have to keep all of the law. And particularly, they emphasize the law of circumcision. Paul has told them that if you are to try and follow God in this way, you are in slavery, and there is no salvation for you. Just as the Jews fail to obey the law of God continually throughout the Old Testament, so too will you fail. Galatians, you started running a good race. You believed by grace, by faith. You were walking well. You're not going to be perfected by the flesh or perfected by all these good works, but only by the Holy Spirit. God, the same Spirit that saves you, sanctifies you, or helps you to become and practice what God has declared you to be in truth. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about this idea of freedom, and that true freedom takes place inside of the right restrictions. Remember, we likened it to a fish in water. When the fish is in water, he's free to move about and go as he pleases. He's free to flourish and to be the fish he was created to be. But if you take that same fish and put him on land, we said that, well, he's free to flop around, but inevitably he will die. So we talked about that God's law is the best way for us to live our lives. And that true freedom is found in the freedom to desire God, to obey God without restraint. We're free to live in His law. We fulfill the law because we're no longer under its condemnation. And Paul, in these verses, is bringing that out a little bit more. What does Christian freedom look like? What does it look like? So last week, we saw kind of the first part of these verses where Paul sets up for us the conflict, right? Remember, we said, in this corner, weighing in at 200 and something pounds is the flesh. And then we said, in this corner, weighing in it weightless is the spirit. And we said, there is this battle going on within us. Even though we are saved by grace, we're at the same time saints declared righteous in Christ. We are not yet perfect. And so sin remains. Remember, we said, sin remains, but it does not Rain. It's been mortally wounded and soon will die out. But until perfection comes, until Jesus returns, we said that the desires of the flesh would be evident. They would still crop up within us, these cravings. And the cravings of the Spirit are antithetical to, opposite of, the cravings of the flesh. We then looked at the works of the flesh last week the things that lead to decay. They're often the abuse of sexual, spiritual, relational things. We also point out that there were substance abuses. It was a fun week. It was really encouraging last week, uh, talking about the works of the flesh. Lastly, uh, we looked at Paul's warning, and we, we looked at a parable in Luke where a tree wasn't bearing fruit. And the message was to repent or perish. And so we said the the main concept that Paul's wanting to get across in this particular section is that the life of freedom in Christ is easily distinguished from the life of slavery under the law. The life of freedom in Christ can easily be distinguished from the life of slavery under the law. Remember we said we're not free to sin, but free from sin. 
thus our fish illustration, right? We're free to live in the law of God, free to swim about the waters. We're also free to go on land, but that will lead to death and decay. We also said, and we will continue to say this week because it's part two, that the normal Christian life is not marked by passive perfection because we are not yet perfect, but by active warfare, by active warfare. This week we'll see that treasuring Christ results in the crucifying of the flesh. The normal Christian life is not marked by passive perfection, but by active warfare. We've seen the conflict between the spirit and the flesh, and now we're going to see the contrast. We said that flesh would lead to, life by the flesh would lead to decay, misery, and breakdown. But life according to God's law, according to the spirit, will lead us to flourishing, to joy, and to contentment. So let's look again at verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Maybe you learned a song when you were younger. You know, you had the flannel graphs and all that. And said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Maybe you didn't learn that one. I don't know. But that's how I remember all of them. And so every time I read it, that little tune comes into my head. And I start bobbing my head along with it. Um, but see, these, these are all aspects of the fruit. And so I think it'll, it'll serve us well to look into each of these aspects individually, but quickly, uh, before we start to deal with the text. And I'm, I'm simply going to borrow from Timothy Keller here and work through them one by one and pretty quickly at that. So first, love. This is to serve a person for their good and intrinsic value, not for what that person brings to you. Its opposite is fear, self-protection, and abuse of others. Its counterfeit or its fake version is selfish affection, where you are attracted to someone and treat them well because of how they make you feel about yourself. Second, joy. This is a delight in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. Its opposite is hopelessness or despair, and its counterfeit is an elation that is based on experiencing blessings, not the blesser, causing mood swings based on circumstances. Third, peace. This means a confidence and a rest in the wisdom and control of God rather than in your own control. It replaces anxiety and worry. The fake version of peace is indifference, apathy, not caring. Patience, an ability to face trouble without blowing up or hitting out, its opposite is a resentment toward God and others. Its counterfeit or its fake is cynicism or a lack of care. This thing's too small to care about. Kindness. It's an ability to serve others practically in a way which makes me vulnerable, which comes from having a deep inner security. Its opposite is envy, which leaves me unable to rejoice in another's joy. Its fake and alternative is manipulative good deeds, doing good for others so that I can congratulate myself and feel that I am good enough for others or for God. Six, goodness or integrity. Being the same person in every situation rather than a phony or a hypocrite. This is not the same as being truthful but not always loving. Getting things off your chest just to make you feel or look better. Faithfulness, loyalty, courage. This is to be utterly reliable and true to your word. Its opposite is to be an opportunist. 
a friend only in good times. And its counterfeit is to be loving, but not truthful, so that you never are willing to confront or challenge anyone. Gentleness, humility, or self-forgetfulness. The opposite of this is to be superior or self-absorbed. Humility is not the same as inferiority. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Lastly, self-control. The ability to pursue the important over the urgent, rather than to always be impulsive or uncontrolled. The slightly surprising counterfeit is a willpower, which is based on pride and the need to feel in control. So those are the aspects of our fruit. Now look closely at them. And at the the beginning of verse 22, notice something about the fruit of the Spirit. Do you see that? It's often overlooked. I did this my whole life. I read that word fruits rather than fruit, right? The majority of my life, I read it fruits, like plural, like uh, these are, it's a tree, but it's got all kinds of different fruits on it, right? Love and joy and peace. Maybe that's how the flannel graph worked even. I I don't remember. Joy, peace. But the word is in the singular, and it's in a singular for a reason. You see, the fruit is always going to grow up together. These things don't grow in isolation from one another. In other words, true Christian maturity is going to be growing in all of these areas together. It's easy to miss, but fruit is singular. I mean, think about it. Just trees around here. If you have a walnut tree, what grows on that tree? Walnuts, yeah. If you have an apple tree, what grows on that tree? Apples. Not apples and oranges on the same tree. You don't have an apple orange tree. I don't, I don't know what you would call that. Awesome is what I would call it. But you don't have that. One tree, one fruit. So all Christian fruit is the same fruit. There is one kind of spirit fruit. And it comes from the true vine. Jesus says in John 15 verses 4 through 12, Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Just call back to Galatians chapter 5, 13 through 15. Just sounds a little bit familiar, this whole section. Uh, We were called to freedom, brothers, but do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but, and here it is, through love serve one another. See that? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul brings up these fleshly desires. 
and these desires of the Spirit in contrast to one another. He's saying, if you abide in the vine, you're going to love your neighbor. You're going to be the fish swimming in the law of God's love. You're going to flourish. That's life by the Spirit. That's walking by the Spirit. That's being led by the Spirit. But if not, you will be cast into the fire. Followers of Jesus have one kind of fruit. And its different aspects are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And in bearing it, there is fullness of joy. The very joy of Christ. Because we are free to live according to our designs in the right restrictions. In the true vine. If you are a Jesus tree, you will bear spirit fruit. This agricultural imagery also shows us a few things about how this, this fruit is going to work in our lives, right? And Keller points out four for us. He says the spirit works gradually, spirit works gradually, inevitably, internally, and symmetrically. The spirit works gradually, inevitably, internally, and symmetrically. First, Christian growth is gradual. You can't always see it taking place, but you can measure it after a time. This is a lot like the growth of a child, right? And if you've been with us a little bit, you've seen uh, my little baby go from being inside of a big old pregnant woman and then coming out and being just this tiny little thing. And he's turning into a pretty big baby now. He's starting to get big. His head's getting bigger. But like from one day to the next, you can't really tell that. But I mean, he went away for, for a week. They went down to, to get ready for her sister's wedding. And when I saw him again, I was like, wow, he's big. The growth is gradual in the Christian life. You can't always measure it. But you can tell that there's a difference. Maybe it looks like this in your life. You find yourself in a situation that's normally a place that you would sin in. But you don't sin. And then you say to yourself something like this. You know, in the past I would have, but now I, I didn't. The growth is gradual. Secondly, Christian growth is inevitable. And I'll let Keller illustrate this one for us because he does it so beautifully. He says this, There's a story about a man that when he died, he was buried under a marble slab. And somehow, an acorn got into his grave. Over time, gradually and unnoticed, the acorn grew. And eventually, it split open the marble. Such was its power. Marble or a tiny seed? If you don't know how things grow, you'd bet on the marble. But of course, the money should have been on the acorn. If someone is a Christian, the fruit will grow. Whatever a Christian's life is like, the fruit of the Spirit will burst through. It is inevitable. This should be encouraging to us as we think of how marble-like our sinful nature is. Thirdly, the Spirit's work is internal. It has internal roots that go down deep. It's not simply about character traits. It's about a deep change. If we tie apples to a tree, does it make that tree alive? No. If you tie apples onto a dead tree's branches, it's still a dead tree. The apples don't give life. They are a sign of life. Life in the Spirit will change what you crave, desire. 
and it will produce fruit. Fourthly, Christian growth is symmetrical. Remember we said the word fruit is singular here. It's spirit fruit when we're in Jesus. And it is deliberately so. Because the fruit of the Spirit all grows up together. Or not at all. Now, we do need to distinguish between our natural giftings and abilities from the fruit of the Spirit. For instance, maybe I'm just really naturally kind. My wife will tell you that I'm not. I'm kind of a mean person. That's that's why I picked this example. But let's just pretend that I'm really a kind guy. I'm just kind and warm-hearted, looking to help people. That's my natural disposition. That's not the fruit of the Spirit in my life. That's a natural gift and ability given to me by God. See, the fruit's all going to grow together. Yes, I might be a kind person, but I might not be that self-controlled. But as I mature in Christ, my ability to be kind and my ability to be self-controlled is going to grow up into maturity. It's going to become good fruit. See, spirit fruit is in contrast to works of the flesh. Just as we can tell an apple tree from an orange tree, so too can we know if we are in Christ based upon the pattern of our living. The pattern of your life will reveal where you abide. Reveal reveal whether you're in the flesh or in the spirit. Jesus knew this and he taught it in Matthew 12, verses 33 through 35. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. He's speaking to the Pharisees here. You brood of vipers! How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure, notice that word, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Jesus' words here are revealing the heartbeat underneath of our passage. See it? The desires, the cravings, the things that we want are determined by what we treasure. Do you see that? What we treasure will determine our desires. If we treasure the things of the flesh, the things of this world, if we treasure uh, the adoration of men, if we treasure sexuality, if we treasure uh, the abuse of substances, if we treasure spiritual manipulation, if we treasure idols, these counterfeits will determine our desires. Our desires will be for them. But if we treasure the Spirit, our desires will be for the Spirit. Imagine you come across a piece of land here in Nellie's Ford. You know, maybe it's, a, it's 50 acres. And you're just walking through it and it's for sale. And you notice something. You find like this oil well. Somehow you know there's just a whole bunch of oil in this land. You know what? Oil will make you a rich person real fast, won't it? Oil is good to sell. So you're, you're on your way home and you're calculating, how am I going to afford this oil-rich land? You get home and you go, you know what? If I sell everything I have, I can buy that piece of land. But what are you going to do? You're going to sell everything and buy that, buy that piece of land, right? Because that oil is going to make you way richer than anything else that you could have had or come across, right? 
You buy the field because it has a greater value. See, Jesus tells a similar parable in Matthew 13, 44. He says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Is this how you feel about the kingdom of heaven? Is this how you feel about Jesus Christ? Is he your joy? Would you sell everything to follow him? Is he your treasure? Has he given you a new nature? A nature that doesn't desire the empty things of this world, but a nature that desires the fruit of the Spirit, the law of God. Remember what we said before, the content of the law is love. Love for God. And the content of love is the law. It's how we best love God. It reveals His character. Do you see where this passage is driving us? It's not just about killing sin. It's not just behavior modification. But it's about addressing the sin underneath the sin. It's not about getting the action right but about transformation. It's about regeneration of our hearts. It's about changing our motives. It's about learning of a great treasure in a field and selling everything. You can't, as the Pharisees tried to do, fake obedience. You can't do the fake fruit thing. As we enter into winter, I think one of the things that comes to our mind is the holidays, right? You get ready to, in my mind, the thing that comes is like the fireplace crackling and bundling up in a blanket, sipping on some tea or some hot cocoa. And one of the things that comes with the holidays is the Christmas season. I didn't come from a family like this, but perhaps you did, where uh, when Christmas starts to roll around about a month out, you drive to a Christmas tree farm and you find the perfect tree. And you get an axe and you cut that tree down, you tie it to the top of the car, whatever you do. I don't know how you get it home. But, but you bring it all the way home. You put it up in your, your living room and you start to decorate that thing. Or if you're like me, you find a reason why you don't have to help with the decoration. You kind of sit back while uh, your mother or your wife now, you know, they get everything just in the right place, just so, so it's perfectly symmetrical. And man, that tree looks good. As the weeks go by, you recognize like the, the needles start to fall out and you start sweeping them up and dumping them into the trash. And there's a little bit of upkeep. Then after Christmas passes, you see, you know, the tree gets a little bit uglier and uglier and uglier. And eventually, those ornaments come off. You realize the tree is dead. And what do you do with it? You throw it out. See, we can dress up our desires for the flesh. We can dress up our sins so that it looks very, very nice. Like a Christmas tree. We can tie apples to our branches. We can put the star on our peak, right? We can look real good, but we can be whitewashed tombs as the Pharisees. We will fool no one, ultimately. Look at what Jesus says here, Matthew 15, 8, 9. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. He wants your heart. Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, like a Christmas tree, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, 
but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus sees through fake fruit. Even if you tie the real fruit to the dead tree, the tree is still dead. The fruit is a sign that the tree is alive. It doesn't make the tree alive. Nor do simple good deeds make you alive. Are you dead? Where is your treasure? What are your motives? Will you sell everything? Or are you a dead tree with ornaments hanging about your limbs? The gospel calls us to transformation. The gospel calls us to transformation. The normal Christian life is not marked by this passive perfection. I got tongue-tied there, didn't I? The normal Christian life is not marked by passive perfection. It's not sitting back and going, well, Jesus has declared me righteous, so I guess it is so. No, it's marked by warfare. Make war on your sin. Live by the Spirit, or you will find yourself being killed by the flesh. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The Christian life is not capitulation to the world's desires and its wants. It's not capitulation to the culture. It's crucifixion. It's striving after holiness. We strive after holiness not to earn acceptance, but because of our acceptance in Christ. We are becoming in practice what God has declared us to be. We are free to obey God without restraint, with unbridled passion. You see, it's life by the Spirit through adoption, not for adoption. Because we've been adopted, we want to please God. We're not trying to earn our salvation. It's life by the Spirit through adoption, not for adoption. When we walk by the Spirit, following His lead, and those are two commands in this text, to walk by the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. We will be crucifying the flesh by the Spirit's passage, or I'm sorry, power. Paul, no doubt, uses the word crucify here to bring to memory what he wrote in Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now In the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Crucify your flesh. Crucify your sin. Kill it, or it will be killing you. Do not make friends with your sin and try to domesticate it. In essence, moving here, I learned that... uh, Bears are pretty indigenous to the area, right? There are lots of bears roaming around. Some of you have told me stories of having them in your backyard or up to your back porch. Now, what would you say to me if I told you, uh, you know what, I kind of like bears. Um, They're cuddly. I had a teddy bear when I was little. Um, Liked it a lot. Slept with it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out to my house. I'm going to grill up some some nice steaks. I'm going to season them real good. A bunch of them. I'm going to make a trail like right through Stony Creek and up to my front door and into my house. I'm going to get a bear in there, and I'm going to domesticate him. It's going to be awesome. You're going to tell tell me, you are crazy. That bear is going to kill you. It's going to kill you. I shouldn't try to domesticate the bear, because it would kill me. 
nor should we try to domesticate our sin and make friends with it because it will kill us. We must put it to death mercilessly, without pity. I am glad that it's been getting colder. You've heard me say that a lot. But I've had you know, mosquitoes in the summertime are probably the most annoying thing in the world, right? And they buzz around and they, they land on you. But if you're quick enough, which I am sometimes, you know, like a cat, you can get it, man. And if you're like me, what you do, you, you get one of those guys after missing a lot of them and you grind that thing into your skin and you wear it like a badge of honor, right? This is how we ought to kill our sin. Mercilessly. Without pity. An outright rejection. The works of the flesh in us, our sinful desire has been dealt a mortal wound. It will die. But now we must war against it. Indeed, the cravings of the flesh are against the cravings of the spirit. The flesh desires sin. The spirit desires God. What are your desires? What do you crave? What do you treasure? What you treasure will determine how you live. What you crave determines what you seek. Works of the flesh will leave our loves disordered. It will leave us in misery and will lead us into breakdown. And the only way to reorder our love is to love God supremely as our treasure. Friends, will you repent this morning anew or for the first time? Will you ask God to make you hunger and thirst for righteousness, to desire Him? Will you yield to the Holy Spirit? Will you walk by the Holy Spirit? Will you by the Spirit's power put your sin to death? Jesus died so that we might not be slaves under the condemnation of the law, but free sons under grace. That we would recognize that Jesus is everything. This morning I exhort you to follow Him. Friends, as Paul said in the first verse of chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Friends, become and practice what He has declared you to be in truth. Become the miracle. Know who you belong to. Those that belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh according to its passions and desires. Have you been crucified with Christ? Are you now living a life by faith? Or are you a Christmas tree? I leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and then we'll move into our time of uh, responsive singing. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come.